has there ever been a moment during the last 12 or 14 months where honestly you just got worn so thin, you're like, are you kidding me? Have you had that moment? You know, when uh, COVID first became a thing, I remember when we were first learning about COVID-19 and started hearing the rumors of it, you know, in New York City and started hearing rumors of it starting to spread. And I remember I'm a part of a couple of different communities. I connect with a lot of pastors across the country and, and oftentimes even around the world. And I like to just hear what's going on. And I remember one of my pastor friends saying, do you realize, and he's talking about, about back in, you know, spring 2020, uh, he said, do you realize this might be our first ever Easter online? And I'm going to be honest with you. I thought that is so ridiculous. I was like, there is no way we're going to be online for Easter. And so I remember when COVID started coming our way. And I remember when we started talking about flattening the curve. And I remember when we started talking about, well, we're going to suspend in person for just a little bit. And I remember thinking, I was on one of those calls with about 20 other pastors. And I remember on that call saying, I think we'll be back in person by Palm Sunday. (laughs) You have the same reaction that some of those people had. (laughs) I was optimistic. I was like, all right, two weeks, awesome. I'm going to you know, work from home and we're going to figure out this whole Zoom thing and, uh, and we're going to you know, figure all this out and you know, a couple of weeks we'll be back in person and obviously that didn't happen. And then over the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months, my, part of my role is uh, as an executive pastor, for those of y'all in the corporate world, it's almost like, it's not exactly like, but it's almost like a COO kind of position where Pastor Chuck focuses on external mission and vision and internally I'm trying to keep us working and, and serving. And so just like you guys, whenever we went online only and whenever companies were shutting down and all, everything began to change, everybody on our staff was asking the same questions you were probably asking. What does this mean for me personally? What does it mean if we can't meet in person? What does it mean if we're online only? And what does it mean for the future of our positions? And for those first couple of months, I really felt like I was in a pretty good place. I really felt like I was leading pretty well. We'd get our team calls together on Zoom and we'd say, we're going to get to the other side of this. And when we're on the other side of this, we're going to have a big cookout. We're going to celebrate together that we survived this three week or four week or one month thing called COVID. Yeah. And then the year kept grinding on. And what began to happen during that season is, man, things got really tough. Some people thought, well, if the church isn't meeting in person, that must mean there's not as much going on. And I'm here to tell you, you could ask any of our team, we probably did more ministry and mission while we weren't meeting in person than we were in person. When schools started asking the question, we don't know how we're going to get food home to the kids that that don't have what they need. And they're used to coming in person and having food and we don't know what's going to happen. And school counselors saying, man, the the, the things that that get reported to like defects and safety issues, those are going down, but not because that stuff is going away, but because those students are not in school. And so there's not a trusted helper, somebody to speak into their life. And then we started seeing marriages that were already on the brink of, uh, of falling apart. And, and so now they're in home, you know, home 24-7 together. And all of those things underneath the surface begin coming up. And there's people that were at their wit's end. 
And then all the financial impact, people getting laid off and people trying to figure out how do we navigate through this. And so our church pivoted really well. We went online only and we bolstered uh, our offerings there. And then we were able to figure out how to give out hundreds of boxes of food every single week. And we figured out how we could go visit people, even when we still didn't know how contagious is this thing and is it even wise for us to do that. And through that season, all of us, you, we, we all felt the grind of that, didn't we? And then it seemed like everybody just got angry, didn't they? Everybody's just angry about everything. People that I love, people that I'm good friends with, I'd see their posts on Facebook and I would think, man, there's so much more than what you're putting out there. There's so much more. And I saw people that got angry with one another. I saw family members, family members that quit talking to one another because of politics and talk, quit talking to one another because of things that they're posting and all the things. And so we were going through this season and finally we're back in person. And finally, things are starting to come back to life. And so finally, all of this is going around. And so if you rewind back to last May, after over a year of trying to navigate all that and trying to keep all of our, our team employed and trying to pivot as a church to serve our community well and our world well, one of the things that finally happened in May is my wife and I, after... I don't know, it had been 16 or 18 months since we had any significant downtime. And so when we got to May of this last year, the, this last May, we were ready to finally have a post 10 year anniversary trip. We were finally ready to unplug and just say, all right, we've been pouring into other people. Now we just need to sit and be. And so finally in May, we were one day away from hopping on a plane and unplugging for 10 days for 10 years. We're one day away where we honestly, I'd been running on empty. And you know what that feels like, right? I'd been running on empty. And I just needed just to be quiet. I just needed to go offline. I just needed to practice what we preach. And so you've got to have margin and boundaries in your life. And we were less than 24 hours away from getting on the plane. When we got the phone call with the family member in need, and it looked like we might have to pull the plug on it. And I had one of those, are you kidding me moments? Now, I get it. I mean, maybe vacation doesn't seem all that significant or taking time doesn't seem all that significant. But for us, we had been running so hard and on empty for so long that we were desperate. Have you been in one of those moments where you're just desperate? Something's got to change. Something's got to change. There's just got to be. And so less than 24 hours. And, and honestly, in the back of my mind, I had become so cynical that I was almost waiting for that to happen. Like I, I had no reason to believe that it was going to happen, but there was something in the back of my mind that was saying, hey, this is too good to be true. You, you know, something always happens. That's one of the ways I know when I'm not in a good place personally, emotionally, spiritually is when I start looking at worst case scenario all the time. And here we are less than 24 hours, finally about to get away and we get a phone call and we have a hard conversation. Are we going to have to pull the plug on this trip? And I'm not an emotional person. I've got the emotions of this table right here. Like, I'm not typically an emotional person. But I sat down over in that lobby over by the elevator, and I just got really emotional. I was like, oh, my goodness. Back in September, I gathered with, I don't know, maybe 75 or 100 
other pastors, a kind of small, intimate group of pastors. And one of the pastors that sort of called this group together is a, a pastor named John Tyson. He's a pastor, he's an author, he's in New York City. And I really believe God is using John and the next generation to help us see more clearly in the middle of it. And John, when we got that group together back in September, just as a place of prayer and just as a place of focus, John read from a passage that ever since that moment has been rattling in my heart. And so I want to take some of what John said that was so impactful to me, some of the way that God used this pastor that's not a lot older than me, but, but somebody that I really believe has some clarity in the middle of the season. I want to take some of those things he taught that really helped me because I think there's some of us that are in that, are you kidding me moment? There's some of us that are disappointed There's some of us that are discouraged. There's some of us that are trying to find a way forward. And the passage that he used that was super helpful in my own life came from Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, or if you have the Bible app and you want to check it out, it's in Luke chapter 24. It's a somewhat familiar passage. You probably will recognize the heading. It's called On the Road to Emmaus. On the Road to Emmaus. And so what's happened is Jesus has died on the cross, Jesus has been placed in the tomb. Jesus has risen from the dead, but not everybody believes it actually happened. If you know the Easter story, some of the ladies went to the tomb and they went there to just sort of take care of things. And when they showed up, the tomb was empty. And so the ladies ran back to the disciples and said, you're not gonna believe this, you're not gonna believe this, it's true. Jesus rose from the dead. And the problem is the ladies said it, but a lot of the disciples are like, yeah, that's nice, but we're out of here. It's like it didn't sink in. And so in Luke 24, starting in verse 13, we see what happens when two people walk away. And if you don't mind, if you're able to, I'd love for you to stand with us as we read this passage. It's a few verses, so it'll take just a minute, but I would love for us to read this together from God's word and ask God to speak to us through this moment. Here's what it says in Luke 24, verse 13. It says, now that same day, the same day that Jesus had risen from the grave, the same day that the ladies announced it. It says that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus asked the question, verse 19, what things? What about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, he was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers, they handed over to be sentenced to death and they had crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it was the third day since it took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Verse 25, so he said to them, how foolish you are 
And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained in them what was said in all of scripture concerning himself. Heavenly Father, we come to you today asking that you would help us to hear from you. For every friend in the room and watching online that feels like they're at a place where there's just not a lot of hope today, Lord, I pray that you'd cause your word to burn within our hearts and encourage us. Help us to see you today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When I heard Pastor John Tyson teach on this passage, there are so many things that stood out to me, but one of the things that immediately gripped my attention was in verse 21 where they're talking to Jesus. They don't know it's him yet. They're kept from recognizing him. They're on this road. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from where the, where the resurrection has happened. They're walking away from where they could possibly see Jesus. Essentially, they're walking away from their hope. They're walking away from their foundation. They're walking away from everything. No, it's almost like after the crucifixion, they're like, we don't know what to do, so we're going home. And verse 21 sticks out to me. It's such a powerful phrase. It says in verse 21, but we had hoped. We'd hoped. We'd hoped that he would be the Messiah. We had hoped that he would be the one that would finally deliver us from the power of Rome. We had hoped that he'd be the one that would be sort of like David. He'd be a great warrior, that he'd be a great king, that he would still have a poet's heart. We had hoped that he would show up and he would kick out all of the oppression. We had hoped that he would sit on a throne in Jerusalem and Jerusalem would become the capital city of the world. We had hoped we'd seen God's kingdom come down on earth and he'd be a ruler and mighty indeed. We had hoped. But it's almost like they were offended at Jesus because Jesus, when he came, he did not check all the boxes that they were hoping for that Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah they were hoping for. He wasn't the kind of ruler they were hoping for. And so as I read this passage and I read phrases like that, but we had hope, the thing that I think about is they were actually disappointed in Jesus. Jesus, we thought it was gonna be different when you came. Jesus, we thought that when you came, everything was was going to fall into place, but instead it seems like Jesus, when you came, everything actually fell apart. Jesus was crucified and and died on the cross, just like Romans did to any other political leaders that tried to rise up. It looked like it was falling apart. The disciples began to scatter. It seemed to them like Rome won, and they, in the middle of this moment, it seemed like a failure, not a success, and they have lost hope. They had hoped. And so what do they do? The ladies show up while the tomb is empty. The the ladies show up, the angel is spoken. The, the, The ladies show up, he's risen, he's risen. And it's almost like they hear that and they're like, oh, that sounds great, but I don't know. That sounds okay, but we don't see him. And so in the middle of that lost hope, in the middle of that, in the middle of that despair, they do the one thing they know to do. They're like, we're going back to Emmaus. And what's interesting is these two are literally walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from where the resurrections happened, 
They're walking away from where, where, where the gospel is beginning to go out. They're walking away from Jesus. And what's interesting to me in, in chapter 24 of Luke is that as they're walking away, Jesus walks with them. Jesus is walking with those that are troubled by their faith. Jesus is walking with those that are disappointed in him. Jesus is walking with those that are brokenhearted. He's not afraid of them. He's not afraid of the tough questions. He's not angry at them. He, he doesn't go off on them. Jesus walks with them as they're walking away from him. And I don't know about you, but I felt like in May, when I had that, are you kidding me moment, I felt like I was a couple of steps down the road to Emmaus. Have you been there? I mean, it seems like during this season, there's been so many people that are angry about so many things. And there's so many people that had been praying for and hoping for so many things. People that, that before COVID happened, they thought 2020 was going to be the best year ever. I can't tell you how many of my pastor friends preached sermons in January of 2020 called Vision 2020. I'm like, none of y'all saw this coming. And then, when, then we thought we would do in the fall of 2020, hindsight 2020, and it turns out we weren't far enough, far enough down the road, were we? We had hoped. We had hoped our marriage would be stronger. We had hoped that our kids would come back from their way. These are things I've heard. We had hoped that we'd be able to conceive. We had hoped that there'd be reconciliation. We had hoped that there'd be a new vision for the future. We, I don't know what that is for you, but in general, that's the, the sentiment as we had hoped. And I don't know what these people are walking away to. I mean, for some people, when they hear that these two were walking back to Emmaus, some people think, well, maybe they're from Emmaus. It's only seven miles. It's not all that far. So maybe they're going back home. Some people speculate maybe they're going back to the old times. Maybe there was a season in Emmaus that seemed like the good old days. And so they're returning back to something sentimental. They're going back to a time that felt more realistic to them. But one of the phrases that they use to describe the Messiah is one that's actually found in history. They say, we had, we had hoped that he would be mighty in word and deed. What's interesting is when you look in history, there's a historical character whom was described as being mighty indeed. And guess where his great battle was? His great battle was in Emmaus, about 150 years before Jesus. And so some people speculate that they had hoped Jesus would be this mighty political leader. And when they were disappointed in Jesus, some people think they went back to Emmaus, where in history, there was a great political leader. In history, there came a time, 157 BC, 167 BC, there came a time where the Greeks were trying to shut down the worship in the temple. In fact, one of the, one of the terrible leaders uh, during that time tried to defile the temple of God. He tried to bribe a high priest to offer a sacrifice of a pig in the Holy of Holies. It was terrible, total desecration. And at just the last moment, another priest rose up and took him out so that it wouldn't happen. And then that priest's son rose to the scene, a guy named Judas Maccabeus. He was known in history, his nickname, get this, his nickname was the Hammer. I think that's a pretty good nickname. 
If you are trying to find a good nickname for Corey, I think the hammer is probably a good one right there. But Judas Maccabeus, he, he, he basically did guerrilla warfare. He, he, uh, the Romans had sort of their official way of fighting, but Judas Maccabeus uh, uh, got small clans of people, almost like a, a version of Robin Hood or a version of Braveheart or something like that. And, he, and, and they rose up in this revolt. It became known as the Maccabeus Revolt. And he had such success that overthrew the Greek influence on them. They restored the sanctity of the temple. They protected the Holy of Holies and God used this guy, Judas Maccabeus, to protect the people of God during the season. That's why he's called the hammer. And because of his victory, that's actually why Hanukkah is still celebrated today. And people, when they would describe Judas Maccabeus, they would call him the hammer. He was mighty in word and deed. So some people speculate, maybe these two are going back to Emmaus because they think there's another political leader. Maybe there's somebody else that will step up to the scene. There's somebody else that will, will, will be our hero. Maybe God will raise up somebody else that will be our version of the Messiah. And so as they're walking away from Jesus, as they're walking away from the city, Jesus walks up and maybe they're going back to this historical past. Maybe they're going back to this other thing. But in the middle of that moment, Jesus asked them a question. Look at verse 17. Jesus asks them a question and he says, what are you talking about? That's a great question. I mean, you see their response. I mean, their response is, are you the only one visiting? Look at verse 18. Are you the only one visiting who hasn't heard about these things? And Jesus asked the next question, well, what are the things? And so he asked this question, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I'm going to be honest with you. One of the most heart-wrenching things about the last 12, 14 months is all the things we've been talking about. I mean, do you remember when, when things first shut down and the thing we were talking about was TP and those people that were hoarding it? I'm not going to take a survey to see how many of you have like a whole room full of it now that you're holding on to. But we, we've talked a lot about toilet paper, haven't we? We've talked a lot about hand sanitizer, haven't we? We've talked a lot about uh, 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 restaurants and how they're short-staffed and how angry I get when they don't get my order just right. We've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about uh, should we wear masks or should we not wear masks? We've talked about should you get a vaccine or should you not get a vaccine? We talk about should we have faith over fear? Should that have actually been part of Revelation or should it be that we should look out for it? There's been a lot of conversations and I don't mean to downcast it. I don't mean to poke holes in it. I'm just saying we've talked about toilet paper. We've talked about hoarding. We've talked about mandates. We've talked about supply chain issues. We've talked about chip shortages. We've talked about restaurants and reduced menus and coffee shops with closed lobbies that ticked me off yesterday. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're still closed. We've talked about entitled workers who aren't showing up to work. We're, we're, we're talking about whether or not parents should be involved in schools or not. We've talked about canceling other churches or judging other churches. If they open too soon, we're gonna judge them. Or if they stayed online for too long, we're gonna judge them. We've talked about does online church actually count? We've talked about uh, do you follow the science or not? Or do you, you know, check out a YouTube video that tells you something different? We've talked about everything. 
We're talking about everything. And I guess what I love in this passage is Jesus walks up and he doesn't really judge them. He doesn't really go off on them. But what he does is he changes the conversation. He changes the conversation. It says in verse 27 that after they, they go through this litany of stuff, we had hoped he'd be the Messiah. We had hoped that he was going to be the deliverer. We had hoped, it says in verse 27, and beginning Jesus and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He's changing the conversation. Their conversation is, we had hoped. Their conversation was, we wanted a political leader. We had hoped that somebody was gonna overthrow. And and, and in the middle of that moment, Jesus shifts the conversation and he talks about the one thing that actually matters in the middle of all of this. He talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus. And when I was with those pastors in California and just listening to them talk, several of their churches were birthed in the 70s and early 80s when, honestly, America seemed as bleak and dark as it is today. I mean, I listened to some of them talk about all the horrific things that they lived through in the 60s. And just, can you imagine just the turmoil that they walked Many of you know the story better than I do. I mean, you think about all the things that we faced over these last 12 or 14 months. They're awful, they're they're heavy, but it's not new. I mean, think about in the 60s when Martin Luther King would would talk about, uh, would preach sermons that just resonated at the core. I mean, just connected with people. And then to watch him be assassinated. How horrific was that? Or to have a president where where at first uh, a lot of believers were afraid of this president because of his, his uh, religion, but then somewhere along the way he becomes popular and then to see him killed on TV, how horrific. Then you think about all the drug use, LSD, and all the things that came our way and just how horrific that was in families. You think about all the struggles that they had in the early 70s, and man, I'm telling you, yes, things get dark now, but this isn't the first time in history that our nation has been up against unbelievable things. Wars that didn't seem to end. Opinions that seemed to be divided. Life without morality. And yet somehow in the midst of that, the Jesus movement began. I don't know if you know the history of it, but in the early 70s, there began to be these people that said, we need to get back to the message of Jesus. We need to get back to the core of the gospel of Jesus. And, and, and what began to happen is, man, these normal people that came from the hippie movement began giving their life to Christ and churches started ministering to them and they started opening coffee shops so they could come and hang out and study the Bible together. And churches began to pop up over the place that read through scripture and preached scripture. And uh, you fast forward just a few years and Campus Through Crusade for Christ put on a, uh, like a big event in, I think it was in Dallas or in Houston, Texas. Billy Graham spoke at it. In the midst of a really dark culture, 80,000 young people showed up. 
In fact, a lot of the worship that the modern day church has experienced today was actually birthed in those foundations. And so in the middle of darkness, in the middle of despair, in the middle of a generation saying, we don't know what's gonna happen, God birthed something amazing. And the reason why we're talking about over these last several weeks, this idea of imagine immeasurably more is because we just sense, at least for me, I don't mean to put it on you guys, but at least in me, I feel like we've gotten sucked into so many other conversations except for the one conversation that matters, that it is about Jesus. It has always been about Jesus. It's been about the person of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. And so the hope of this generation and the hope of our life isn't another day debate. It's not another thing that we, we post online. It's not us getting more angry. It's not us looking to the government. It's not, uh, it's us getting Jesus right in our own hearts. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't answer all of their questions. In fact, if you read Luke 24, Jesus acts like, once they get to Emmaus, Jesus acts like he's going to go further. And they're like, no, 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 come hang out with us, come have a meal. And over that meal, Jesus breaks the bread. And their eyes are opened. And then, again, he doesn't answer all their questions. He doesn't say, well, this is how it's all going to work out and it's going to be fine and all these things. Instead, Jesus ghosts them in the middle of the meal and he takes off. He doesn't lead them through a 12-week discipleship program. He doesn't memorize scripture with them. He gives them what they need in the moment. And in that moment, even though there's still uncertainty, and in that moment, even though they're still wrestling with doubt, they have a relationship with Jesus where he says, I'm walking with Jesus. And so I just want to encourage us today that whatever thing that we've been disappointed by, whatever thing that we've been hoping for, whatever next step we've been thinking is going to clear all of this up, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And as we enter into these last few weeks of the year, Holidays bring out the best and worst in people. Time around people that you don't see all the time sometimes pulls us into debates about everything. In these last couple weeks of the year, we're frantic and we're spending and all of these things. And if we're not careful, we'll get to January 2022 empty. We'll get to January 2022 uh, on, on this thin string that's about to break. What would happen if you and I said in these last few weeks of the year, we want to intentionally shift the conversation back to Jesus? When people start pulling us into other conversations and they say, hey, what do you think about this thing? Be like, man, I would love to talk to you about this thing and Jesus's view of that thing. When people are pulling you into some debates that are random and and, and don't really matter in the end to say, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus so that as we get to 2022, as a church, we're able to say 2022 is a year of walking with Jesus. I don't get excited about talking about TP and my Amazon Prime box showing up so we stay well-stocked. 
I don't get excited talking about hand sanitizer, and we debated earlier this week about some of them just smelling nasty and being sticky. I don't really get excited talking about should you use hand sanitizer or not, or if that's going to be what wrecks our planet. But what I do want to talk about is Jesus. I want to talk about a Jesus that loves you, a Jesus that cares about you, a Jesus that sees you in your heartache. I don't mean to make light of any of our heartache. Jesus sees us in that. I want to talk about a Jesus that left heaven and he came to this earth and he lived a perfect sinless life. He never sinned against God. He never sinned against himself. He never sinned against other people. I want to talk about a Jesus that when he went to the cross, he went to the cross for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world. I want to talk about a Jesus that when he was on that cross, he took all of that junk and all of that pain. I want to talk about the Jesus that said, it is finished. And what he said, it is finished. The payment for sin, the penalty of sin. He secured heaven and he secured a new future. I want to talk about the Jesus that three days later came back to life with resurrection life, able to give anybody that would ask him a brand new start. I want to talk about the Jesus that promises to never leave us or forsake us. I want to talk about the Jesus that isn't just a historical person, wasn't just a good teacher, wasn't just a good guy, but the kind of Jesus that when you walk with him, when you spend time with him, you begin to become like him. And over time, you begin to do what he did. Can you imagine if by the end of 2022, when we look down at Sugar Hill or we zoomed out to our nation or you zoom out to the world, can you imagine how different the world would be if people talked about Jesus? They spent time with Jesus. They became like Jesus. They did what Jesus did. Can you imagine if the conversation wasn't about my little problem and my little vacation and the conversation was about the kingdom come, the will be done on earth? as it is in heaven. I don't know about you guys, but I get excited about Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray together? We intentionally wanted to to put this in front of us as we prepared uh, for 2022. Pastor Chuck and I have been having so many conversations with our team and with people around us that we believe that God has made it so clear that the way forward is to go back to the foundation of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, man, we're gonna sing these songs in your head and your heart. You could ask him to step out of heaven and into your heart and save you. But maybe you know him and you're a couple of steps down the road to Emmaus. You're a couple of steps walking away. Maybe in these songs, you would just do business with God there in your seat. Some of you may wanna kneel at your chair. Some of you may wanna come to the altar and and lay it before God, but maybe this would be a time to say, Jesus, would you help me to come back to you? Because what's interesting is after that meal with those guys, Jesus ghosts them and they look at one another and they said, did not our hearts burn when he was speaking? And so they pack up and they go back to Jerusalem, the place they walked away from, and they tell people what happened. What would happen if our hearts burned with the reminder, it's just Jesus, it's always been Jesus, Jesus is enough. We're a Jesus is enough church. Heavenly Father, thank you for an amazing church family we get to gather with. Thank you for the hundreds that join us online as well. Father, I I, I pray for every hurt and every disappointment and every doubt. And I pray in the middle of that moment, you'd help us to see Jesus. 
help us to make, fix our eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews says, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, for anybody that is on the road to Emmaus, God, I pray that if you'd please you, that you'd pull them back to yourself and they would see immeasurably more of what you can do. Father, we lift these words and these songs up to you because we know it's about you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.